Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack family. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 98. It's been my intention for quite some time to introduce you to good bishops across the country, and I've sent invitations out to 22 different bishops to appear on this show to give you the things you're not getting from your own bishops. Well, it seems most of them are afraid to come on the show. We're in negotiations with one bishop who will probably come on the show, and I'm confident my friend Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke is going to cut out time from his enormously busy schedule to be here, but so far only Bishop Joseph Strickland has had the courage to come on the Cantankerous Catholic. This is an interview you want to hear. Have you heard? A brand new translation of the Holy Bible is available for Catholics. Introducing the English Standard Version Catholic Edition, the most beautiful and readable Catholic translation of the Bible. If you've ever had difficulty reading the Bible or are looking for the perfect gift this holiday season, this is the Bible for you. The new translation includes changes to nearly 60,000 words from the Revised Standard Version and is the best combination of a literal translation written in smooth and readable English. Available in bonded leather, hardcover or softcover, the ESV Catholic Edition is a Bible you will love and a translation you can trust. To learn more about the ESV Catholic Edition or to purchase your copy, visit catholicbible.org. Again, that's www.catholicbible.org. This episode won't have our ordinary features this week because the interview is a full hour, about half again as long as I intended. Bishop Strickland is easy to interview because all you have to do is ask a question and step out of the way. This is a man who truly loves Jesus and his church, so when he begins speaking, he gets more and more excited about his topic. So we're going to jump right into the interview, but I have something I want to mention first. On December 2nd, the Cantankerous Catholic will air its 100th episode. That makes it our birthday, but you're the one going to be getting the gifts, and these gifts are all Catholic and very, very big. You'll get the opportunity to register for a drawing that we'll do on December 2nd, then announce the first place winner in episode 101 on December 9th. This is our way of saying thanks for being a loyal listener to the Cantankerous Catholic. We're giving away a lot of prizes. The first prize is a complete digital version of the 1913 edition of the Catholic Encyclopedia, consisting of 16 volumes and valued at $3,200. We have 25 second prizes, a digital book collection consisting of 40 of the works of G.K. Chesterton, valued at $550. Chesterton was so great a Catholic writer of the early 20th century that there's still Chesterton literary clubs throughout the world. Finally, we have 53rd Prizes, a digital collection of 27 volumes of the work of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, perhaps the greatest defender of the Catholic faith in the English-speaking world in the 19th century. This collection is valued at over $300. Also, 10 lucky winners will get a hard copy of the new Augustine Bible from our friends at the Augustine Institute in the English Standard Version. This is the easiest-to-read version on the market, and it's one that has become my default version. All you have to do to register is to click the drawing link in the show notes for this episode and fill out the form that pops up in your browser. You can find it either by clicking the show notes button in the podcast player you're listening to this on, or visit the episode at cantankerouscatholic.com. You'll find the link in the resources section. The deadline for registration is 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on December 2nd. Sign up today and let me thank you for being a loyal listener. Now that I've told you how to get some great birthday presents, (laughs) let's get on to the interview with Bishop Strickland. Six-Pack Nation, this is an interview you've been anxious to hear because today we've got Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. 
Bishop Strickland has been the ordinary Tyler since Pope Benedict XVI elevated him to the Episcopacy in 2012. He's since become known as the most outspoken defender of orthodoxy in this country. Your Excellency, we're honored to have you on the Cantankerous Catholic. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Joe. Your Excellency, I have three questions here that my listeners expect me to ask of any bishop I might interview. But before we get to help the six-pack nation get to know you a little better, just as every convert has his story, every priest has his too. Would you mind telling our listeners about your journey to the priesthood? Sure. Um, I grew up here in the Diocese of Tyler, um, born actually in Texas but born in the uh, San Antonio area, little town called Fredericksburg. And then we moved, was, when I was a toddler, we moved to East Texas. I grew up in Atlanta, Texas, went to public schools all my life there, um, strong Catholic family. And um, as I tell people, being Catholic for us was the best thing we had. We didn't, we weren't a wealthy family. We weren't influential. We didn't have really much in terms of the world, but it was really ingrained into us very joyfully that being Catholic made us superstars. Um, and so that treasure of that treasuring of the Catholic faith really formed me as a kid growing up in East Texas in a very non-Catholic area. Uh, the diocese, these 33 counties have grown to maybe six to eight percent Catholic after a lot of growth. We were probably three or four percent Catholic when I was growing up or maybe less. Um, so it was a very non-Catholic atmosphere, but one in which it was instilled in us that being Catholic was God's gift to us. It was the greatest thing we had. And so you can imagine in that context, the idea of priesthood was something that was very positive, and and early on, maybe I wasn't sure that it was possible for me. I never had the most confidence of of any kid, but I was always a quiet kid, one of um, six kids in the in the household, uh, number five of six. Had an older brother that died in infancy, so it was a total of seven Strickland children, and I was number six of the the seven and number five of the six that grew up together. Um, went to the seminary in Dallas, uh, University of Dallas, connected to the seminary, Holy Trinity, that I went to, beginning, at, started as a freshman in college at 18. And um, really, Joe, I have to say that the world opened up for me. Uh, I had really uh, the basics of what the treasure of Catholic faith was, but it certainly opened up for me at the University of Dallas and studying there at the seminary. I was ordained in 1985 and found myself right back here in East Texas in Tyler. Um, that was at that point Parish Church, Diocese of Dallas, Immaculate Conception here in Tyler. A year and a half later, the Diocese of Tyler was created, and I was right here as the youngest priest in the diocese as it started. I was the diocese's first vocation director, um, left the cathedral, what became the cathedral after four years, I was there as assistant, went to be the pastor of a small church, St. Michael's in Mount Pleasant, Texas, which is about an hour and a half from Tyler, here in what is now the Diocese of Tyler, and then went off to study canon law at Catholic University in Washington for two years. Came back, uh, Bishop Carmody, Edmund Carmody was the bishop at that time of Tyler, and he assigned me as rector of the cathedral. And I was there as rector for 16 years, and then in more recent times, worked briefly as vicar general for Bishop Alvaro Carrada, and then I was administrator with him as uh, we were waiting for his replacement, which turned out to be me. Um, so... <laughs> I've been here in East Texas, and I think really, as I think about it, why have I become so outspoken? Well, I think as a kid, even growing up, we had to be defensive sometimes about the Catholic faith. People didn't understand, and people um, had all kinds of questions. And I remember as a grade school kid, because 
as I said, being Catholic was so significant for us. I was conversation. Sometimes they turned into arguments, but uh, we would have even as grade school kids, because East Texas is a very faith-based kind of community. A lot of people go to church, and one of the questions, if you move into the Diocese of Tyler, um, people will ask you, what's your church home? And frankly, when they hear Catholic, they're not very often, they're a little bit put off. There's There are a lot of myths about the Catholic faith. There's a little understanding of the 2,000 years of history of the church. Um, you mentioned converts. We have a lot of people that convert to the Catholic faith here. Um, and what I grew up with was an understanding that most of my peers or a lot of my peers would leave the Catholic faith because they really ne- never knew what they had. And I think that's been part of my motivation as the Bishop of Tyler. It'll be soon to be eight years at the end of November and to really be on this mission to teach the faith. Because, like I said, I grew up with an understanding it's the greatest gift a person can have to understand the message of the church that Jesus Christ established. And I fully believe that. But many Catholics walk away from the church for all kinds of reasons, and they never really knew what they had, I believe, in the Catholic faith. Amen. You're absolutely right, Your Excellency. I myself am a convert. Uh, and Believe it or not, for the last 32 years, every time I open my eyes in the morning, the very first thought that comes into my mind is, wow, I'm a Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I believe that Catholicism is the most exciting lived experience I have. Uh, It really is exciting to me. And I there's not a week goes by that I don't have to convince a Catholic, usually a cradle, well, always a cradle Catholic, uh, to stay in the church. They get yeah. discouraged, they get confused, and they don't know the faith. Uh, they haven't been taught the faith. They think yeah. they have, but they haven't. So, yeah. anyway, I, I thank you for that, Excellency. That was good commentary, uh, good, good explanation of your life, and I appreciate that. I know our listeners will, too. Uh, Let's go ahead and get on to the questions that my listeners have asked me to ask you. The so-called spirit of Vatican II has led to a more Protestant-style liturgy. That results in huge numbers of Catholic laity and priests leaving the church altogether. Also because of the liturgy change, a huge percentage of the laity don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Most Holy Eucharist. I think it's 74% now. It's been more than a half century since Vatican II ended. When are we going to get the Mass that Vatican II intended? Well, (laughs) that's a big question that I don't have the answer to. But I do agree that we need that um, solidifying of the liturgy and just to be Catholic. Going back to the very beginning, as, as described in the Acts of the Apostles, and then the Didache, and then the Justin Martyr, and those early writings, we've got to get back. We we can see, what does Acts say? They knew him in the breaking of the bread. And we exactly. know that the breaking of the bread is what happens at every Mass. So, Amen. really, Joe, I would say absolutely and that's, uh, I declared that this year that we're just ending the liturgical year, um, for most of 2020. It's been a rather unusual year to say yeah, the least, has. but, um, I declared it for the Diocese of Tyler, the year of the Eucharist. And the Amen. reason for that is because, you know, we're all dismayed to hear, um, X number, huge percentages of Catholics that don't really believe in the real presence. Just, Today, we, we celebrate the Saint, um, Saint Martin of Tours, and he had a, a vision of the real Jesus Christ. And he was a catechumen. You probably know the story, but I'm yes, familiar with it because we just celebrated him today at Mass. <laughs> but, um, he had a vision of Christ after he had cut his cloak in half and helped a poor person. Christ appeared to him. And basically said, thank you that you had helped 
him, you know, through with a half of his cloak. We have to have that kind of faith, that kind of belief that we truly encounter Christ. And that is something that uh, we need to work at and also be open to the grace that is there. The great saints through the centuries really emphasize Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. He promised us he would be with us until the end of the age. And I believe we've got to bring Catholics back to that deeper understanding that he is present at Mass. And I guess, Joe, it's been my bias here in the diocese and in my ministry as a bishop that if we really can deepen our belief and our understanding and knowing the doctrine of the Eucharist in the Catholic faith, then reverence will flow from that. Um, asking Absolutely. people to be reverent when they don't really know Jesus Christ and they don't know him in the Blessed Sacrament. Certainly they may be obedient, but their heart's really not in it. And the, I mentioned the heart because that is exactly what must be in it if we really are going to renew the church. So I don't have the answer for how and when the liturgy will have the renewal that it needs. But I think there, there are many signs that people are hungry for that reverence, hungry for an approach that clearly telegraphs that we believe that when we come around the Eucharistic altar, the, the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, is really present, body and blood, soul and divinity. And I think we all have to stoke that faith. I I encourage people to pray before the tabernacle, and if possible, to um to pray in adoration if it's available anywhere that where they can, even if they have to make a sacrifice and make a little bit of a drive, make an extra effort to spend that time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And really, Joe, I think it comes down to bishops and priests doing that firstly so that we are more steeped in what we are doing. Um, I've said in many different situations as people, as I've talked to people through these past couple of years of so much turmoil, we're in a crisis of supernatural faith. Where, as Catholics, do we celebrate the supernatural on a regular basis? And absolutely, it's at Mass. Bread and wine become the body and blood, soul and divinity of God's divine Son, Jesus Christ, who lived, suffered, died, and rose for all humanity. If we can really, for those who believe, to deepen that belief, to deepen their reverence, to be more and more in awe. And I pray for that for myself as a bishop. I've been a priest 35 years, eight years as a bishop. and that is a faith that I need to continue to to breathe more life into. And I feel the thing is, when we're making that effort, then the Lord blesses us. And I, I have to say, and really, Joe, the strength to speak out as I have that is upsetting for many Catholics, many bishops, many priests are, are uh, very upset that I'm saying what I'm saying. The only reason I have strength to is because I spend that time and I, I try to spend more and more because I'm not there, but I want to get there where the the Lord of the Eucharist is always the Lord of my life and everything that I do. That's why he's here with us. And as you can probably tell, I get very verbose and very enthusiastic <laughs> when I start talking about the real presence because if we know he is there, certainly there's a whole, you know, compendium of, of truth. There's the catechism. There's the whole deposit of faith that we need to know more and more deeply. But if we know him in the Eucharist, then that opens our heart and mind to know the rest of the truth, the Ten Commandments, the seven deadly sins, the whole great deposit of faith that guides us in this human journey and why we're so unhinged is so many people don't believe in God and so many people who may have a basic belief in God have not rejected God, 
but they don't know his son in any significant way. And even those who claim to be Catholic, I mean, look at the politicians without naming names. And I, I have named names a few times and it, it gets me in yeah, hot water. But, uh, we don't have to name names. We can just say if a politician claims to be Catholic, but they support abortion and they support gay marriage and they support all these other things that are that are clearly talked about in the catechism as being not the morality that we are called to live. What sort of Catholics are they? What sort of Catholic is anyone? Whether they're the, the person next to us in the grocery line or a, a, a world leader or a national leader in the, the church or in, in our nation, if they're claiming to be Catholic, but they're denying parts of the catechism, denying parts of the word of God, I think we have to speak up and say, make up your mind. Either be Catholic as the church offers this deposit of faith. As you said, it's glorious. It's interesting. It's, it, it, it can, it does absorb all of your life. Like we see with the saints, if we really start to open our hearts and minds to it, that's what we need to do rather than congratulating politicians on some, you know, election that they've just finished. We need to teach them. And if they are not living according to the Catholic Church, we need to joyfully and lovingly introduce the truth to them. Because obviously, I mean, I'm a bishop, and I'll take the blame that is my responsibility for failing to teach the way we should. But how do we end up with politicians or business people or actors or anyone in the public eye who says, oh, I'm Catholic, but I don't believe this, 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 and this. It's because we've failed to teach them. It doesn't take all the, the responsibility off of their shoulders, but it does remind us that politicians or actors or music stars or sports leaders, whatever they are, whatever their walk of life, if they say, I'm Catholic, but I think abortion's fine, or I'm Catholic, but I want to support the LGBTQ movements, then we haven't taught them what being Catholic really is. It's not a onerous, dark, and antiquated way of life. It is full of joy. It is full of light and hope. It's full of unlocking a lot of the, the, the maladies that are, are fracturing and harming people in the world today. Yes, absolutely. Your Excellency, I'm got, I've got to tell you, I really would love to hear every bishop in the country stand up and say what you have just said here. I know that as the six-pack nation listens to this, they're going to be sitting back cheering. <laughs> you you might get all kinds of unsolicited emails and letters. <laughs> well, it uh, happens. Um, yeah. And people are hungry. And, yes, they are. And really, Joe, I like to emphasize, I'm not a great theologian. I'm not a scripture scholar. I'm not a, that smart. Most of the bishops are smarter than I am. They're, they're better scholars than I am. But we have to talk about what we believe. I feel like really I'm probably more, um, comfortable. <laughs> I fit more with the original 12 apostles than with my brother bishops because they were fishermen. They were day laborers. They were not wealthy. They were not highly educated. They were not super intelligent. They were not the scholars of their day. Some of them were more scholarly than others, but most of them were common men, but they knew Jesus Christ and that transformed their lives. St. Paul was a scholar of the, the Jewish faith, but mm -hmm. he became an expert in Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he truly encountered him. And it's amazing to me. Um, that's one of the things that, because we all have our dark moments in these crazy times, and I can get down. I do. But one of the things that really occurred to me recently, we, we celebrated just in the last couple of weeks, the, the apostles Simon and Jude. And it just, I feel like it was a gift of grace from God that as I prayed the Mass for Simon and Jude and reflected on those two apostles that we really know very little about. Um, 
What did they have in the first century of Christianity as the church was just forming? They had Jesus. They had a faith that he had lived among them. He had taught them. He had worked miracles. He had suffered, died, and risen. That's what they had. Even the New Testament was being formed as they were slogging through first century Rome and going out into the world. Look at what happened to the apostles. All but John died a martyr's death because it was a tough world. But they had Jesus. And whether it's St. Nathaniel, sometimes called Bartholomew, or one of the others, they died because they knew Jesus Christ. And we need to have that kind of strength in our faith. And what has struck me over and over again as we celebrate the martyrs in these difficult times, people don't die for something that they're sort of lukewarm, maybe kind of sort of committed to. (laughs) You die for something that's worth dying for. And that's what, I mean, here we are on, you know, celebrating veterans on this Veterans Day. and. We need to remember and, and hold up those people who have sacrificed for this nation and have helped it to be a great nation. We need to remember them so that it can be a great nation once again. But we have to be that nation under God and beyond the nation. I mean, I love this nation. I was it, probably Amen. one of the, the second things that we were taught was to be patriotic, to, to love the nation. My father was in the Navy during the Second World War. Thankfully, he didn't see any real combat, but he served, and he was a faithful. He, he joined as a young man, like so many did, as the war began. And so the nation is precious, but beyond the nation, more precious is our Catholic faith. Nations come and go. I pray that this nation can get back on track, but that will only happen. If the majority of us say, yes, we are under God and we want to live under God. Too many in this nation are ignoring God and denying God and celebrating atheism and secularism and really totally um, debauched living that is destructive to the human person. So um, as you can tell, Joe, I get a little carried away when I talk about these <laughs> things because Like you said, as we began speaking, this is the most wondrous gift that the Lord could, could, we could imagine God giving us his own son to guide us and to be our light and to help us see the answers to the questions that arise in the first century, the eighth century, the 18th century, and the 21st century. Human beings are still created in the image and likeness of God. And if we ignore God, we're ignoring ourselves. We're ignoring the very basic elements of what it is to be a human being. And I think, sadly, we see a lot of people suffering because the world is saying, turn from God, you be God, you shape the world in your image, and what do we get? We get a broken world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Your Excellency. I couldn't agree with you more about this. You know, I've been in lay evangelization uh, for almost my entire, well, actually, since I was a catechumen. God has graciously used me to make hundreds of converts in small venues. But, you know, I spent all these years making converts. And, of course, you know, over the last, what, six years or so, you, Cardinal Burke, me, every other person who's evangelistically minded in the first place, we're spending the vast majority of our time defending Catholicism rather than teaching it. A couple of months ago when I was speaking with Michael Voris, he laughed and told me I was being entirely too charitable when I said that at least 95% of Catholics are ignorant of the faith. <laughs> and he, he may be right. Uh, yeah. Excellency, what do we have to do in order to turn this around about Catholics knowing the faith? Well, really, Joe, again, I mean, you like to ask these big, tough questions, but (laughs) we have to know Jesus. I think that that is the best answer I can give you. Uh, As a bishop, like I said, I'm still not a scholar. I'm not much of anything, really. 
but I have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, and he has helped me to come to know God the Father and the Holy Spirit in a deeper way than ever before. That is what the original disciples, the apostles, and those who gathered around them, that is who they had. Not what they had, but who they had. They had the person of Jesus Christ. The recent popes from John Paul II, that was, he became pope the, the year I, I was the second year in the seminary when John Paul in 1978, in October, when he became pope. So John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis have emphasized know Jesus Christ, have a personal relationship with him. Here in East Texas, very often, the evangelical Protestants really have it. They don't have it all, but they have the beginning steps because they'll say, have you taken Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Absolutely, that it needs to be the core of faith for all of us, a relationship with him, a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. So really, Joe, I believe that that is the best answer that we have for ourselves, for you and me. I know that that's why you converted to the Catholic faith and that's why you continue to evangelize is because you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know him in the Eucharist. You know him in the word of God. You know him in the wondrous teachings of the faith that, that help to guide us around the, along the blind alleys that we hit when we ignore the light of Christ. So knowing Jesus is the first step. And like I said earlier, I think that the bishops and priests of the world today, certainly in this nation, but around the church, we all need to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. And for me, that has happened in prayer with him, spending real time in prayer. You know, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen really insisted that every priest should have a holy hour. I do my best to do that every day and more. Um, I like to have more than a holy hour, more than 60 minutes. But um, the more time we can spend with the Lord and really opening our hearts to him. And that's true for all of us, for you as a lay evangelist, for every deacon, priest and bishop, for every baptized person. Because really, as you know, you said with Michael Boris sort of facetiously, but Really, the reality is very few people, even good-hearted, committed Catholics, really don't know their faith very deeply because there's a lot to know. And we're living in a time of sound bites and just sort of skimming across the surface of of history. Uh, really, Joe, I like to say that the crisis in the church is that we we haven't learned the catechism, the crisis in our nation is that we haven't learned the Constitution. Those That's two right. basic documents for state and church, we've got to return to because they're fonts of great truth, tried and true, that can really guide us out of this darkness if we will simply open our hearts and minds and humbly say, I've got to learn more. I certainly have learned that, and I'm sure that you have. And every convert is a person who said, I I need more of the truth. And they come and study the Catholic faith. Really, I'm, I'm sure that you will agree, Joe, that if a person that is seeking to know Jesus Christ fully, if they start reading the fathers of the church, they, they're going to become Catholic if their heart and mind is open at all. Because oh, yeah. it's laid out for them. Uh, the fathers of the church slog through the questions about who is Jesus? What's this church about? What are the sacraments? What is true? What is false? All those heresies of the early centuries, they did the homework for us, and we have the benefit, but those heresies keep popping up again in modern times because they're blind alleys that the human mind gets caught up in when we're not paying attention to that heritage that we have. But once we start opening those books of the church fathers, and the great men and women saints that wrote wonderful um, descriptions of faith, wonderful dialogues with the Lord, wonderful treatises that, that help us to deepen our faith. 
we have to read those things and it, it takes some study, but it, it takes the time and the focus. That's probably one of the greatest challenges we have with young people is because of the technological world that they've been raised in. They are, it's very difficult for them to focus and to, to take the time to read a book, much less to read the challenging word of God or the catechism or any of the teachings that we really have to take into our heart and mind in order to begin to open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. You know, your your answer to this was very, very timely for, uh, for one reason, because just today, the episode that uh, launched this week launched today, and it was all about becoming a warrior for Christ, and it begins with prayer. And I'm trying to lead the listeners uh, along the path to building a good prayer relationship with Christ. One of the biggest reasons for the existence of the Cantankerous Catholic is to build that army. And so I'm constantly pointing people in the direction of learning the catechism. Whenever I talk to Catholics, no matter how charitable I am, whenever I have to point out, hey, you might want to consider learning the faith a little better, learning this particular thing a little better, I always get one of two responses. They always either tell me, well, rather indignantly, I might add, well, I've been, I'll have you know, I've been a Catholic all my life. Or they'll say, well, I'll have you know, I've gone to Catholic school for eight years. I never say it, but the thing that goes through my mind is, so? (laughs) I mean, that doesn't prove anything, you know. And if they think about it, that's not an answer. Because catechesis has been so weak for so many decades, Catholics just don't know the faith. And that's, to a great extent, that's led to much of the immorality we have today. In fact, a major problem, major moral problem in the church among the laity is artificial contraception, and nobody preaches on it. But that's mainly because most Catholics have never been taught that it's wrong or why it's wrong. Yeah. Consequently, modern Catholics have accepted a pro-death mentality. A poll that came out uh, in March, whenever the pandemic was starting here in this country, and so the media didn't pay much attention to it, but this uh, poll from EWTN says that 53% of Catholics accept abortion, 55% accept euthanasia, and 59% accept physician-assisted suicide. Excellency, do you, I mean, you've already touched on this great deal, but how do we fix this? I mean, this is a moral problem. It's more than catechesis. How do we fix this? Well, I, I think we have to simply keep teaching and recognizing that people don't know their Catholic faith. As you said, there are many people in the public eye in various aspects of our society who will say, oh, like you said, I'm I'm a cradle Catholic or I've been Catholic all my life, went to Catholic school. But like you clearly said, they haven't learned what the church teaches. And the great beauty that you mentioned earlier is that it all fits together. If life is sacred, then logically the next step, then the next step. And that you point out contraception and the the teaching of humane vitae and really uh, i think we would both agree that that was a a major downturn in the catholic faith when and frankly the bishops of the world certainly here in the united states thankfully the holy spirit guided pope paul the sixth to to teach the truth even yes. though there was tons of pressure, as I'm sure you've studied, there was a, everybody was kind of surprised when he came out with Humane Vitae and stated clearly that contraception was immoral and could not be practiced by a faithful Catholic. Of course, it was rejected. And what's interesting is you look at just the trajectory since then. If you look at where Modern society is one thing, and I know it's simplistic, but I'm a simple guy. But sometimes, even though the truth is deep and beyond us, it really 
very often is pretty simple, pretty basic, pretty black and white. And I think that just one test that one listening, probably if they're listening to, to your show, they're, they're pretty strong already, but maybe it'll help them to pass on that strength to others. But I would encourage people to, to really just take a look at all the issues that are out there, everything that's bouncing around in the public sphere with, with religion, with politics, with everything. Is what people are pushing in 2020, as opposed to when I was born in 1958, what was the, the basic moral code that people were pushing? Um, that was sort of the, the majority accepted, you might say. Mm. Is what 2020 is pushing for the more challenging, harder to live or easier? Apparently easier, at least. And yeah. I think across the board, you can see, well, of course, it, is it easier? I mean, long term, it, it really, that's the, the irony of it all, but that's a whole other conversation in some ways. But if, if you're just looking superficially at life, it's easier to just use contraception and think, oh, well, we can control how many kids we have and we can make sure that we only have one or two and then we can buy the nice car and have the nice house and not have to work so hard. And, and, and then they're grown and gone and we can have a nice, Happy life with, without the children bothering us. You, yeah. that looks so positive and it looks easier. And so, okay, well then use contraception. Of course. Yeah. The, make it easier. I, I think that so often if you look at the moral challenges, what the world is pushing today is the easier path. I'm sure we both read various commentaries. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with. Saint Faustina, but she has an image that I think is very telling of people just sort of dancing down this broad path and their flowers and it's wonderful and everything's great. And then they go off a cliff into oblivion, <laughs> into hell. <laughs> um, yeah. Then the people that are slogging through this path full of thorns and it's narrow and it's sweaty and they're struggling, but they get to heaven. That vision of St. Faustina that is, is repeated in various ways by many of the saints and some of the apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what does Christ say? Enter through the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is, is full of challenge. He carried a cross through it himself. He tells us we have to carry our own cross if we want to be his disciples. And that's another thing that we see, um, even in the church. Even with church leaders sometimes, it's kind of, oh, we don't want to mention the cross too much. And we want to mention God's mercy, but not how he won that mercy for us through the suffering of the divine son of God. We want to just sort of de-emphasize the cross and embrace the mercy. And it just doesn't work long term. You can No, it you doesn't. Can, you can get by for a little while, but. Even then, it's it, it starts to unravel pretty quickly. So I think that ultimately what we have to do is recognize the more we sacrifice to know the truth, the more we sacrifice to really know Jesus Christ more deeply, then the, the harder it is in some ways in the short term, but the more fulfilling it is in the long term. Absolutely. Excellent. See, you know. Really, if people think about it, mercy makes absolutely no sense if there isn't a cross. There's yeah. no need for mercy if there isn't a cross. There has or to be suffering to go with it. Yeah, or if there's no sin. I mean, people want yeah. to, to eliminate sin. Well, you don't need mercy if there's no sin in the first place. Absolutely. And we we know that there is sin, but you know, a lot of people like to to ignore it. So it's, we, you know, it's a, it's a great challenge that we face, but I encourage, and I, I encourage myself, honestly, we have to keep grasping and holding to the joy, holding to the light that is Christ, holding to the
that he brings. Because it's easy for even people of faith to to be worried and to despair and to to let the darkness sort of take over their heart and mind. But we have to, I believe, really work for the joy and the, the hope that Christ brings. And we do that by coming to know him more deeply and facing the the challenging truth that he has revealed to us. He who does not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. No truer words. I That's excellent. Uh, Excellency, let's shift gears here for a minute. And you may not like this question at all. I don't know. <laughs> Several months ago, Father James Altman came under a lot of fire from both the Episcopacy uh, and the laity for the remarks he made about the Democratic Party and bishops who supported Joe Biden for president. And I think it's important to note here that Biden is not yet the president-elect. Your Excellency was the only bishop to come out in support of Father Altman and what he said. Why do you think our other bishops left him twisting in the wind? Well, I'm sure that um, some of them didn't like some of the things that Father Altman said. And he said, you know, he covered a lot of territory and he said some controversial things. Really, Joe, it came down to me, and I know people disagree, but, well, we we just have to acknowledge that there is disagreement. But to me, as I've said on the floor of the, the bishops' meeting last year and repeated in many different venues since, abortion, the sanctity of lo- the life of the unborn, really for me, Joe, is beyond just another issue. It is a foundational building block of a moral society. And when the poorest among us, the weakest among us, the most neglected, the most voiceless, the unborn are free game for their lives being, for them being slaughtered. I think that's a, a sadly an accurate word. If you watch what happens, I mean, and they do have videos of, of either during the abortion or the aftermath of literally counting the body parts to make sure all the pieces of that child are there. How can they deny it's a child when you're seeing arms and legs and a head and, you know, it's just, it's just atrocious to, to look yeah. at. But when we deny that, then we are on the, a path of darkness that just can't be accepted. And that was really what motivated me to support Father Altman. I'd, I'd have some some slightly different approaches to, to some of the things he said, but the bottom line for me was we've got to speak up and say when any institution, any political party stands and says, we believe that it is this is a, a a right that we are going to push for and want to make it a law of the land, not just a Supreme Court decision, but a law of the land to say that we can take the life of an unborn child if we choose to. Then that ha- that to me takes them out of the conversation of a just society, of a society that we can cooperate with. To me. Uh, and I know people get upset when you bring in Nazi Germany, but in a lot of the things I've read since endorsing Father Altman and all the controversy around that, I think we've got to open our eyes to the reality that when a category of human beings are segmented off as not truly being human and having human rights like everyone else, then we are in trouble. Slavery did that for this nation and for many years of human history. A certain category for different reasons, sometimes because of their race. But for whatever reason, when we segment off a group and say they're they're subhuman, then we're in trouble. We're doing that with the unborn. The, The Nazis did that with the Jews and even Catholics at times in Germany. For those that they decided were subhuman, they 
did their best to eliminate them. And very targetedly for the Holocaust of the Jews, they said, these people are not people. That's what we're saying as a nation. And for to have a political party that is embracing that as part of their platform, I didn't make it up. It's written there in their platform. We believe that abortion is a right taking the life of unborn children. They won't say it that way, but that's the reality. I believe that is a foundation stone of a just society that we can't say, well, we'll just overlook that and look at all the other good things that they may be trying to do to take care of other suffering, certainly from in the spectrum from conception to natural death. There's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of injustice. There's human trafficking. There's mistreatment of people at borders. There's all sorts of things. But if you can't manage, and that's what I've just repeated till I'm literally blue in the face and, (laughs) you know, people don't listen, but I'm going to keep repeating it because we've got to wake up to the reality that if, if you can't manage to get out of the womb and be born into the world, then all those other issues along the human spectrum, if if you are if you made it, and we can even go back to the question of contraception, because many are preventing the natural process that God put in place for a man and woman coming together in sexual intimacy. Sometimes a child will be conceived, and they're wanting to eliminate that possibility. But once a child is conceived, if they can't manage to be to go through the the development process of approximately nine months in the womb and be born, then poverty, hunger, lack of housing, lack of jobs, lack of anything doesn't really matter to that child. Uh, one of the, the uh, political cartoons that I really thought hit it on the nail as it has Joe Biden saying, I'm for the little guy. And then in the next <laughs> frame, it has a child in the womb saying, uh, just how little are you supporting? <laughs> and, you know, I think that that's what it comes down to. And it's, it's segmenting off those who are not yet born as not people, not human. It's not a child. I'm not sure. And, and even scientifically, they know that it's nothing but a child, but it's a convenience to say, Oh, well, we're treating that as if it's not a child. And there's a lot of, I mean, I've tweeted things at times and they take exception to, you know, the, even the issues of how far into, I mean, the, the last trimester and everything. But the reality is, if you're willing to take that child's life after conception, then the reality is you're taking a human life. However far developed they are, you're taking a human life. We're, eventually going to wake up to that, but I don't know how much humanity is going to have to suffer before we recognize that declaring that the unborn are not really human, are not people. Uh, I gave a homily. uh, The gospel was about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. The child in the womb is our neighbor. And until we embrace that truth, we're going to have problems. And that's the bottom line of what Father Altman was saying. Yeah, he said a lot of other things as well, but to me, that was the fundamental issue. If we're treating the child in the womb as something other than our neighbor that we must love as we love ourselves, then we're creating an unjust society from just that level. And everything else becomes meaningless because we're willing to take the life of that person who happens to be an unborn child in the womb. Excellency, an avenue you uh, started to go down just a minute ago, I and I thought you were going to go develop it more fully. Recently, I interviewed uh, Father Robert Altier, and his whole thing about the uh, life issue is abortion has to be stopped before anything else because if, you don't make it out of the womb. All these other so-called seamless garment things don't matter because you're not going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I, I just, I thought, boy, that's a really profound way of putting that together. 
I mean, that cuts to the chase. I don't understand why the party of science won't follow the science. I mean, how do you, how do you deny with all the scientific evidence? How do you deny that the, at the moment of conception, life begins? Of course, I guess that's why there's still a flat earth society, (laughs) but. Well, in, in the science, really, and that's what's great about the science. I mean, the Catholic Church has always embraced science. Sure, certainly there have been some bumps along the road as, as science was understanding itself. But the reality is, like um, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, through the science of ultrasound, I mean, he was one of the foremost abortionists. And he right. was converted when the science told him that the child's lives that he'd been taking were real children because he saw that in an ultrasound. I mean, it really isn't scientifically something that people can debate, but it's kind of like you, you just put blinders on to that scientific reality because it's, it's not what they want to, to acknowledge because it, you know, it undermines their whole argument if you acknowledge Yes, this is a person. Yeah, it absolutely does. It, to my mind, debating abortion and human life is sort of like debating two plus two equals four. I mean, that, it doesn't make sense to me. Excellency, I have one final quick question because uh, we're running out of time. If we only had one bishop for America, sort of like Archbishop Fulton Sheen was called America's bishop, and if you were that bishop for America, <laughs> what would you say to the Catholic laity of this country? Well, man, you like to have big questions, don't you? Um, don't I? <laughs> well, I, honestly, Joe, I'd say what I've been saying for the past hour. Um, I would do my best to tell people we've got to listen to the full message of Jesus Christ. That's the blessing. I mean, that's the irony of our time in the Catholic Church, because, you know, Christianity has splintered into thousands of denominations, and each denomination has something of the teaching of Jesus. We believe that the original church he established has the whole teaching of Jesus, and here we are in the Catholic Church with people trying to deny aspects of that teaching. So, I guess, Joe, if, if I... Um, I don't have to worry about that eventuality <laughs> happening, but if I were the only bishop speaking to all of the, the Catholics of the United States, I would say embrace the whole message. Um, one aspect that that brings up for me is I'm something I'm sure you're familiar with. It's a whole other conversation, but the bracketing of scripture, it happens in, in a lot of different ways, even institutionally. You can read a text that is part of the lectionary, and in the, the argument might be, well, it makes it shorter or whatever. But very often, if you look at what has been bracketed out, it's the tougher part of that passage from Paul or that passage from the Old Testament or that passage from the gospel. We've got to hear the whole message of Christ and trust that it's abundant mercy with great challenge and it calls all of us to be, I, my name is Joe, your name is Joe, and we're, we're supposed to be better Joes tomorrow than we are today. And Amen. that's what the Word of God, that's what Jesus Christ challenges us to, rather than trying to skirt around the tough parts, either eliminate it or reconfigure it to a, a more comfortable gospel. I would say, let's embrace the whole message of Jesus, and do our best to to live that message and to trust that in his mercy, he will forgive us when we fail, if we're striving to live the fullness of his message. And I guess I would bring it back to that relationship with a real person. The people that we love, I mean, I've never been married, but certainly the, the love between a husband and wife or anyone. You know, love of children with parents. If you love someone, you don't say, well, I just want to know this part of you. Don't tell me all about yourself. Come on. 
just tell me certain things and I'll be satisfied. It's not natural to our relationship as human beings. If you, the more you love someone, the more you want to know everything about them. And that is what, how we need to approach Jesus Christ. If we love him as our Lord and Savior, then we need to want to know everything about him. The, the stuff that looks tough right now will ultimately be part of his mercy in the future. And we've just got to embrace the whole message. And I think that's a lot of what, to, to boil it down to, to a basic, simple concept, I think a lot of what's happening in the church and certainly in the world is, well, people want a portion of Jesus, but they don't want the whole, the whole story. They don't want all of Jesus. And we have to embrace the whole Jesus, the one who says, love each other as the Father and I love each other, and the one who says, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. We've got to embrace the whole Jesus. Absolutely. Excellency, I, I know that right now, the six-pack nation listening to this podcast, this is going to become the most downloaded episode ever, I think, because I promised them I would try to expose them to bishops who were going to give them exactly what they needed, and that's exactly what you've done. And Your Excellency, I am deeply appreciative of that. Would you consider coming on the show again in the future? Sure, um, whenever we can work it out. Yeah, well, we'll wait a while because you've had to put up with me for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, may I please ask, for your blessing on the six-pack nation before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Joe and for all of those who are listening. Help us to rejoice in the opportunity to come to know you through your Son in the power of your spirit. May the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother you have given through your Son to all of us, may she intercede for us powerfully. Help us who are burdened with doubts and questions to be uplifted in joy and hope. And for those of us who are joyful and hopeful in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, that that joy and hope may expand so that we can invite others to know the truth that sets us free. May the Lord bless and guide each of us. And we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. Excellency. Thank you very much. I don't know about you, but I think that was exciting. When was the last time you heard a bishop speak that way? If you'll go back and listen carefully to His Excellency again, you'll hear everything you need to know to become a vibrant Catholic in a culture and society that hates us. And along the way, you might even learn how to become a saint. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a Holy Orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week. And our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other broadcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate.
every Catholic needs to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, because this show will help you to learn to navigate through these tumultuous times, as well as learn, understand, and live our Catholic faith better. You can help other Catholics find the Cantankerous Catholic much easier by leaving a review of this show at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show the Cantankerous Catholic more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.